This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Weber here, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. As I always say, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. So if you have any, any questions, anything that's bothering you, something you want to talk about, or just something you want to learn more about, now is your chance. It's free. It's telemedicine at its finest. And um, you can reach me, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, you can join me here live on Zoom. Just go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, and scroll down to Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And there is a link, a Zoom link left for you there by Mark, our producer. Click on it, and you can join us here live. And um, of course, since we're all on video, you can bring your pet with you. That's, that's even better. I always say, a picture's worth a 1,000 words. A video is worth 100,000 words. So um, that's why these companies, these telemedicines that just do it by phone... <laughs> That's that's a waste. It's so hard. It's so hard to describe something. For the veterinarian, we want to see it. And if it's something that's moving, ah, that's even better. So um, this is a great practice for you. So uh, we'll start with the question. It says, good morning. How do you know when it's time to do a cleaning of the teeth if there's nothing obvious? Well, you know, first of all, one good way is breath. And pets age. Once pets hit at least three, chances are they're going to need some sort of routine cleaning. It might be once a year, it might be once every 18 months. As they get older, it's going to might even be every six months. There's some small breeds, Maltese, Yorkies. Um, boy, those guys were doing every three or four months. So it depends on the dog. It also depends on your home care routine. If you're not brushing teeth regularly, you're going to need to professional cleaning even more. If you are able to get into a habit of brushing your pet's teeth on a regular basis, then you can actually spread those visits out. Now, another way to tell if, if the teeth look good on the outside is breath. If the breath smells, there's a good chance there is a pocket of infection somewhere. And then for those, if the teeth look pretty good on the outside, I recommend having your veterinarian do some dental x-rays. Most of us now have dental x-ray machines, just like, just like at your dental office. If that little thing goes in the mouth, digital, you get the result in seconds after you take the, the uh, x-ray. And you can also tell that way, is there anything going on under the gums that you can't see? With the bone, a root abscess, some decay of the root, et cetera. And that can contribute to the halitosis, the bad breath. So that's another way you can tell. So uh, if the teeth look good, you're brushing them and you still can't get rid of that smell, it might be time to uh, have your veterinarian take a look at those teeth as well. Uh, another one, uh, morning, what are your thoughts on immunotherapy to treat allergies? Well, I'm a big fan. Here's the thing. One of the newer medications we use called Cytopoint or CADI, canine atopic dermatitis immunotherapy, is a form of immunotherapy. It attacks interleukin-31, IL-31, which is responsible for the actual allergy itself. It sets up the allergic response. IL-31 in a dog is like our histamine for us. It is a mediator of the inflammatory or the allergy response. So if you can do an anti-interleukin-31, then that is kind of, in a sense, immunotherapy. And, uh, and I love the cytopoint. It's fantastic. Now, the other way to do it is even better, and that is let's identify the allergens. And there are some simple blood tests that can be done now. And then have this company make up allergy serums, just like any kind of vaccine, very, very small doses of that which the pet is allergic to. And they slowly build up their immunity. With each shot, you're increasing the volume. And then with the second and third vials, you're increasing the concentration until they are able to be exposed to a full dose 
of whatever it is that they were allergic to, and now their own bodies were able to set up an immune response. Success-wise, it's about 75%. A lot of times, again, dogs seem to, when they develop allergies as older dogs, they might progress as the years go on. Same thing with people. I had allergies as a kid. In fact, when I was growing up, I, check this out. I was allergic to dogs, cats, horses, sheep, goats, cows, and hay. Can you imagine what kind of wreck I was in vet school? Not only being exposed to all these animals, but when I got to my large animal rotations, there hay's all over the place. So I had the, the classic hay fever, cat allergies. Oh my God. Anyway, bottom line is I outgrew them all. Now I did go out for allergy shots. The student health center was, it was so full all the time. Uh, it was called Cowell Student Health Center that I said, you know what? Hell with this. I'm giving myself the shots. And I started giving myself the allergy shots. Now I don't take any allergy shots. I'm not allergic to anything. So um, I guess either I outgrew them. You know, I say with my first cat, I was a wreck. Now I have five, but I was a wreck. The runny nose and the scratchy throat and you name it, I had it, the itchy eyes. And I was getting a small dose every day because now he was living with us. And now by the time I got my second cat, and then my third cat, for, all you know, I have zero cat allergies now. So that might be a great way to uh, do your immunotherapy. Anyway, stories in the news. I'll keep looking for questions and I'll try to get to them as the show goes on. Anyway, rabies. There is a report of some bats in West Hollywood, separate from my going on to the AVMA Smart Brief for the AHA News that I was like so surprised to see this. So bats we know carry rabies. And um, if one gets indoors, usually when bats come indoors, they're usually juvenile bats. And it was like a juvenile mistake. They just haven't honed in yet on, you know, on their ability. They have their own radar sonar system and they just, they couldn't make sense of it. And they ended up in your house. Anyway, don't try to catch them. Never try to handle a bat with your bare hands. And interestingly, what you want to do is open the windows, open doors, let them figure it out and escape on their own. Now, there is a guide, it's actually, it's called the Bat Conservation International Online as a step-by-step -step guide for capturing and releasing bats. So if you should be so unlucky to have a bat fly into your home, you better get online and check out that site. It sounds pretty good. This I found very interesting, and I'll source it close to home. I'll explain why that in a minute. But there's an experimental gene stimulating immunotherapy, let's talk about immunotherapy again, that is injected directly into the tumors of five dogs with glioblastoma. It shrank in all of them, and actually one of them completely eliminated the tumor. The gliomas are very similar in both pet, dog, and person. And now they're gonna be using, experimenting on this treatment for people as well. And why interesting to me is that my mom sadly passed from glioblastoma grade four, which was like, it's the worst. You, know, you hear about pancreatic, there are certain tumors that are truly a death sentence, and GBM4 is one of them. And, uh, you know, even pancreatic, you know, if someone's lucky enough to catch it early and they can have the Whipple procedure, I know of, of two people actually that, are, that had complete pancreatic cancer and are now are doing fine. So uh, after the Whipple, of course, you have to take supplements, you have to do your digestive enzymes, but I mean, they're alive. So um, anyway, that's cool. There's another one where, you know, a lot of times we take from the human side and it's great when the humans, right, the human side can learn something and take something from the veterinary side. So uh, anyway, looking forward to that one. And by the way, brain tumors are even more common in people than they are in dogs. So, so this actually can be uh, possibly a life extender or maybe even a life saver, which is great. So we've talked about this before, but in, uh, studies are coming out now that, you know, well, short of the Delta variant, there are more people getting back to work. That might change again. Who knows what's in store for us in the future. But, 
you know, trouble acclimating pets to a new schedule is really tough. And we're seeing and hearing a lot of cases of separation anxiety. Unfortunately, we're also hearing of some people bringing back the pets that they adopted during COVID back to the shelters now that they go back to work, which is not a good thing to do. There are ways to get around it. Anyway, one of the behaviorists, she uh, is talking about, you have to learn to leave them alone productively. What does that mean? I mean meaning being left alone with, and make it a positive experience. So what she recommends is there are certain cues that we uh, go through that dogs get used to. Believe it or not, they're really smart. And they see when, they, for example, you're going to take your dog out for a walk. You don't have to do much more than just touch that leash or they hear the jingle of that leash and they're already getting excited. So what you want to do is, and there are certain cues that you are not taking your dog. You're going to get your keys ready. You're going to go outside the door. Um, you're going to get your coat. You're going to get your purse, whatever it is. They know, they know, or you put them in a different room. What you want to start doing is going through those same clues and cues, but doing it while you're not leaving yet and rewarding them for it. So again, they think now when they hear those keys jingle, you grab your purse, they're getting rewarded as a positive experience and you are going to stay home. And then what you do is then you can leave for a little bit. It's the whole idea is making the experience for the dog positive. Positive reinforcement works really well. And dogs will learn that when you go through this, they're going to get the reward. They know you're going to come back. And that's what's also important because they know you're coming back. Anyway, that is uh, just one good thing to, uh, to just keep in mind that there are ways, it takes time, but anytime you're going to work on any kind of behavior modification, it's going to take time. So don't think you're going to get instant satisfaction. Next story up is fleas and ticks. And uh, we know, as with most things that we talk about in medicine, and that is that it is better to prevent than treat and less expensive too. So fleas and ticks, one thing I have to say, and, I, and again, I'm not one, well, if there's a recall of a food because it's dangerous, I'm, I'm going to let you know about it. And depending on the food, et cetera, I, it may not be super always so positive, but you know, sometimes mistakes do happen. Sometimes good companies, sometimes you have companies that are being implicated a lot, then you know there might be something wrong. Now, probably the two most popular flea products from many, 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 did I say that enough? Many years ago, close to 20, all right? The active ingredients are imidacloprid and fipronil. And imidacloprid and fipronil are now not effective. They are no longer effective. As my good, dear friend, colleague, Dr. Mike Dryden, Dr. Flea, he was chief of parasitology at Kansas State University. He is one of the world's experts on fleas and ticks. And he uses the R word. It's not a dirty word. The R word is resistance. And now we are seeing resistance fleas and ticks to these very same excellent, excellent drugs. To put it into perspective, how excellent? I was a national spokesperson for a number of years for the one of the companies, the major company that put a product out where imidacloprid was the active ingredient. It is fantastic. It was fantastic. And unfortunately now, it's just the nature of the beast, the nature of the insect. And that is they now have developed resistance to these very same, very safe, drugs. So there's a new class of drugs we call isoxazolines. Unlike the others, and well, I should say, like the others, fipronil and imidacloprid at the beginning, they were only available through your veterinarian. One of the kisses of death from an efficacy standpoint is going OTC. Then things get overused and misused. And that seems to be the problem. Uh, well, one of the problems. 
So these products are available only through prescription, through your veterinarian or a veterinary prescription. There are four major ones out there. They are all excellent. Three of the four are good for 30 days. One of them is good for 12 weeks. You need to speak to your veterinarian. Once again, the Isox Azalines. Since I'm not playing any favorites, I'm going to give you the names of all four. You have Brevecto, Semperica, Credilio, and Nexgard. Once again, Brevecto, Semperica, Credilio, and Nexgard. All good. Speak to your veterinarian. And two of them, and most likely all four at one point, actually are going to be good for fleas, ticks, and heartworm. So you'll only have to use one tasty, chewable treat once a month for your flea protection, your tick protection, and your heartworm protection. So uh, two of them have already started. I'm sure the other two are not far behind. So anyway, speak to your vet, but much easier. Give your dog a chewy, tasty chew pill, right? Once a month or once every 12 weeks over having to treat the severe allergies with skin allergies and getting your house uh, under control, et cetera, uh, because the flea problem. Prevent the problem now. And just so you know, all of these work through the flea bite. The flea has to take a bite. That flea is gone very quickly. Um, and then that flea can't breathe. That's how the population, do you realize that during peak season, a single female flea can lay any, anywhere up from 25 to 40 eggs per day. So when you see all those little baby fleas hopping on your toes or your feet when you're walking barefoot, those are usually the baby fleas that have not yet jumped onto the host, the dog, for their first blood meal. When that happens, first of all, if those little baby fleas don't get a meal, they're gone in several days. And what happens is that once a flea takes their first blood meal, something changes in their intestinal tract to where they become obligate parasites. Now they need that blood meal. So um, if they don't get it, again, they, so if they fall off the pet and can't find that pet again, they don't really like you as much, then they're probably going to die on their own in a short period of time, might be five days. So the way this stuff works is since most adult fleas spend most of the time, this is relatively new. You know, we used to say for every one flea in a dog, you have 30, 40 in the environment. That could be true, but those fleas in the environment are little baby fleas. They're not mature yet. So as far as adult fleas, most adult fleas spend most of their life on the pet and they need that blood meal to survive. Okay, anyway, we're gonna leave for the first half hour. Coming back, I have a couple of things I wanna talk about. And if we have time, we're just gonna follow up on some leptospirosis and influenza. But uh, I have two really good feel-good stories that you're gonna like. When we come back, don't go away. We'll be back after these short messages. So I just want to tell you about a company that I came across, and I really think what they do is great. Carlson Pet Products. Very, very affordable. The company specializes in creating pet safety products to keep your pet happily protected from the puppy stage through their senior years. They have a variety of products. They have pet pens. They have foldable elevated beds, crates, pet gates. I mean, all phenomenal stuff. Their pet gates I love because basically they fit any size opening in your home. And most of the gates also have like a walk-through door. It's a small door for your pet to pass through without having to remove the whole gate. So it's really, really cool. Look them up, carlsonpetproducts.com. Get a 25% discount and free shipping if you use the promo code PETLIFE, P-E-T-L-I-F-E. Check them out. You're going to love them. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, 
Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. During the break, I got a couple of questions, both linked to the same thing. So we want to talk about, is heartworm disease prevalent in Southern California? Because we're seeing a lot of mosquitoes. And another question came in right after that, saying their dog is being bitten up by mosquitoes. So that is the answer to the first question. Yes, we are seeing mosquitoes. Years and years ago, I don't know if I share this with you, I happened to have a golden retriever patient that was positive for heartworm, never having left Southern California. It was born here, never left, and it was such a puzzle because at that point, we really didn't have a big mosquito and heartworm problem here in Southern California. So um, anyway, the Southern California Heartworm Prevention Society came out. They wanted to examine the, the home. Is there any, any link to mosquitoes? And the first thing they noticed, how close this home was to Forest Lawn Cemetery. Ah, the, 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 that moment, the magic moment. So they went up to the cemetery, and they lifted up some of the headstones, thousands upon thousands of mosquito larvae. Why? Because the mosquitoes need that the heat and they need the moisture, all right? And so we don't have that type of climate here. But like in the South, it's huge where it gets really muggy. So that is one of the problems. So because of the, the proximity to the cemetery, there were a lot of mosquitoes and these mosquitoes. So I think the mosquito is called Culex crinkofaciatus. That's a $10 word. Use it the next time you play Scrabble. And um, anyway, the mosquito itself is A, a year-round mosquito, and B, obviously starting to thrive more and more and more. And now even I, in my West LA home, I see mosquitoes. So I started testing my dogs. They were heartworm negative and putting them on heartworm prevention. So I would highly recommend for any of you who are seeing a lot of mosquitoes around your homes, yes, I would highly recommend using heartworm prevention. You want to start with a heartworm negative test. So make sure to have your dog tested first and then start with the prevention and uh, talk to your veterinarian, of course, but uh, I think it would be very important to do so. Okay, next up, two feel-good stories and and one after another, and I kind of really like them. I hope you will too. So uh, there was a British military veteran. His name was Paul, nicknamed Penn Farthing, all right? And he served in Afghanistan and Kabul. And right after his service, he stayed there and he opened up a pet shelter. He realized the problem with unwanted pets. And he opened up a pet shelter. He had a, It was literally full. Well, he just got permission from the United Kingdom government, the UK government, to bring the 140 dogs and 60 cats in that shelter out of the shelter and bring them to England, not only the animals, but also he agreed they bring to bring the shelter staff and their families to come and live in England, which is obviously for them a huge change. And the UK sent out a chartered jet to pick them all up, including all the animals. 
That's really, really cool. Hats off to the UK. So then the next story, which is also really good, is comes from the United States. And it's the it's a federal law is directing the Department of Veteran Affairs to set up a five-year pilot program to cover the cost of training service dogs for veterans to help them with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. There are going to be at least five VA medical centers that are going to work with accredited service dog organizations. And if this program is successful, they then plan to expand it to veterans with other types of mental health conditions and disorders. So again, it just shows you what we've all known, the magic of having pets in your lives. And um, the fact that, that we see just petting a dog is going to you know, bring down your blood pressure. It lowers your cholesterol. Good for kids. Kids do better on tests. They focus more. Their IQ scores are higher. I mean, it's really ridiculous when you think about all the, the, uh, the health benefits. You know, I guess to coin uh, my good friend, Marty Becker, the uh, veterinarian who's written a zillion books, but The Healing Power of Pets was one of his books. And to read it, you just really see how special, how special they are. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, next up, hookworms. Hookworms are one of the big four parasites. You have, you know, yeah, what you have your maybe even more now. But as far as worms, um, you have your your roundworms, your hookworms, your whipworms, right? Uh, you also have your coccidia, which is really not a worm. That's more of a, a protozoan. It's an oocyst that's that insists in your more more related to a bacterium. And then of course you have giardia. Well, the one medication that we use for hookworms, and by the way, hookworms can affect us as well. They can actually migrate into the skin of people. And uh, you have cutaneous larva migraines. That is really gross when you think about it, that these little baby larvae can penetrate our skin and cause these eruptions. And you have little worms, pre-worms living in your skin. Just think about that for a second. Anyway, pretty gross. So the drugs that we were typically using for this ancillostoma are now, just like the fleas we talked about earlier, are becoming resistant to these bugs. So they have multi-drug resistance. They're called ancillostoma caninum, is the parasite itself. And um, now they think that it started in Florida, in the southeast, which is where this is, they are most prevalent in racing dogs off the racing track, the greyhounds. And now they become prevalent in other breeds as well. We see them mostly in the southeast. So it's one of those diagnoses where you used to have hookworms. You can use any of the big medications. We're just fine. Parental pamoate, strongid was very effective. So now we're seeing that the, these parasites are not, even fenbendazole and some of the things we use for a lot of the other parasites, which are supposedly good for everything, are now no longer working on the hookworm. So it's become really nuisance. They cause diarrhea. They are very difficult to uh, control. And now we have no US FDA approved drug to treat them. So um, I'm sure we're going to be looking over to our European veterinary colleagues who often can get things passed way before we can in the FDA. And let's start using things off-label, but still very effective and still very safe. So in the minute or two we have left, just a little bit more. Lepto is, is, is growing. We're seeing a lot of it here in Southern California. You know, basically, in a sense, it's kind of our fault. In fact, talk about fault. Just yesterday, I was walking from a friend's house to my house. He lives down the block from me. And I see these two, it was about 8.30 p.m. So it was pretty much dark. And I see these two look like happy dogs running down the street. They were coyotes, one after another. And they're running. In fact, some car stopped when I was crossing the street and said, are those your dogs? I said, those are dogs. Those are coyotes. And the coyotes, they used to live up in the hillsides and the mountains, you know, north of here. 
And we are developing all these areas. And so we are forcing them out of their areas and they're getting hungry. They have pups to feed. So they're out looking and searching for food. Okay. Sometimes that food might be your small dog. So make sure that if you have a low fence or a fence that can be jumped over or bitten through, you might want to be very careful about having your little dogs in a backyard. Fortunately, with my big dog, I'm not too worried. But even though I, you know, so, so I saw them running, I clapped my hands and they just took off. They still are a bit afraid of humans, which is a good thing. But my point is that when they defecate and they urinate, especially on your lawns or not your lawns, but just on the grasses in the neighborhood, and then the sprinklers go on and there's runoff. And then you take walk your dogs and there's runoff and they lick the grass or they, you know, whatever they're doing. And that's how this leptospirosis is being shed. Another problem that we're seeing now is a, a large amount, a larger amount, I should say, of influenza. Now, years ago with H3N8, which came out, I guess was noted first, one of the companies that was making the vaccine gave us test kits to test for the influenza, and we had no positives. Now, recently, there were 11 positives, these dogs that are going to daycare, going to boarding facilities, going to grooming facilities, and there were 46 more that were on the list of possibilities. And I am seeing a lot of upper respiratory infections. Now, again, Typically with uh, kennel cough, which is infectious trachea bronchitis, the dogs are actually pretty, acting pretty normally. And the cough is usually a dry, hacky cough. Now, there's not much of a discharge, if any. And they're happy. You just have to treat them. And then I would vaccinate dogs that frequent those types of facilities where they are going to be exposed to a lot of other dogs. I recommend every six months doing a Bordetella. But these dogs are much sicker. And the sicker dogs with more signs of, of like a pneumonia probably are the influenza. It's either H3N2 or H3N8. And the vaccines, the influenza vaccine gets both of the strains. So I would highly recommend speaking to your veterinarian if you have heard of cases in your area, if it is recommended by your veterinarian, and if you frequent these places, you definitely want to talk to your vet about getting the vaccine. It would be very protective. For those of you who are Instagram, I see a lot of you are, go on to my good friend, Mike O'Hearn. He and I did a, uh, some pieces the other day. He is the greatest guy. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, he's huge. He's, he's the Titan. He's the man. And uh, yet when you see a big guy like this and how he interacts with his dogs, he is the softest guy on the planet. It's unbelievable. And again, that's the effect that dogs have on us. Taking a big guy like that, probably one of the strongest men in the world, and uh, you, you see how he becomes butter when it comes to his dogs. He's like such a softy. So anyway, we did some fun stuff. He's a great sport and I, I love doing stuff with him. So check him out as well. And uh, anyway, for any of you that have questions, if I didn't get to, you can always email them to me, Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can always send me something on Instagram. And I'd love you to tell your friends to um, sort of start following me on Instagram. I try to post some really, really, really cute stuff every day, or at least every other day. Uh, one who helps me with social media is trying to get me, not every day, but every minute. But uh, that's not going to happen. Um, I'm too busy seeing your patients to uh, start doing this. But anyway, have a great week, everybody. Next week, I will most likely not be here. Uh, going to Park City, Utah to go to a friend's daughter's wedding. I'll be there literally for the day, Sunday, setting Sunday night, then coming back Monday morning on uh, Labor Day. So uh, yeah, it'll be a pretty busy week. And uh, I don't know if I can do the show from the air. And I think I will be flying at this time. So anyway, we'll see you though the following week. But 
As far as questions, don't wait for the show. You can get a hold of me anytime. And also, if you are not on AirVet yet, you definitely want to download AirVet. It'll give you access to me or another veterinarian 24-7. Don't rush to the exam room. You go to an emergency room. I just talked to someone this morning. I took a call, a virtual visit, as I like to call it. And she calls her local. Now, she's not in Los Angeles. She is in Wisconsin. And to go to a, the emergency clinic was a four-hour wait. That's, that's, that's Wisconsin. Here in LA, it's 12 hours. They tell you. If they don't think just by the phone call or your history that it's not a life-threatening emergency, they tell you not to come. Well, that's crazy. You want to talk to a veterinarian. So that's the way to do it. AirVet. All right. See you in two weeks, everybody. And uh, if I don't see you on Labor Day, I won't. Have a wonderful Labor Day. And we will um, see you in two weeks. Be well. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.